0: Matthew chapter 5, we'll start in verse 1 and read to verse 12. This is a very famous section of Scripture. Most of you already recognize it. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And within the Sermon on the Mount, this is the most famous section of the Sermon on the Mount, which is the Beatitudes. So let's read these together. It says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened His mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Today, I just want to give a brief exhortation on verse 5 that says, Blessed are the gentle or the meek, as the ESV translates it. I believe the ESV translates it that way. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I want to talk to you a little bit about meekness. Meekness. um, Kind of a little context of where Christ has come so far in these beatitudes. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And blessed are those who mourn. And poor in spirit, being poor in spirit, poverty of spirit, simply speaking, is the absence of self. You are poor in spirit. It's that that line that I just quoted nothing in my hands I bring. Your hands are wide open. You're not holding on to the things of your life anymore. It's the first step and what it means to be a part of the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who have let go of the things of their life. They're not holding on to them with both fists anymore. There's total surrender of self bound up in this word, poor in spirit. So here's a person that has become poor in spirit. They've utterly surrendered themselves. And as a result of that, what's happened? They've gained a kingdom. It's quite the thing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It's the one kingdom that you don't have to fight for, and it's amazing because it's the one kingdom that if you try and fight for, you'll never gain it. There's so many people they can't figure out why have I not gained an interest in Christ? I'm fighting. I'm trying. Now, there's prayer involved. There's seeking of the Lord, but not from the standpoint of this is my thing that I'm trying to do to get into the kingdom. Even as a Christian, you can get into this mentality. First and foremost, it is an absolute and complete surrender, a complete giving up on self and all of your own resources. Poor in spirit, gain a kingdom. What happens? They come into this kingdom, they open their eyes, and they now look around with this new perspective of the kingdom. And what do they see? They see that God's law is not honored. They see that the person of Christ is slandered. And this horrible thing called sin has absolutely made a mess of the entire world. That's what they see when they look out. They come into this kingdom. They look around them for the first time with these new eyes, this new perspective. They become a new creation. And all they see is the tyranny and the destruction of sin. Couldn't we talk about that? What, how, I mean, who would need that justified that sin has made an absolute mess of this world? All you have to do is be honest with yourself. And look around you. Everyone knows that we were not created for this. This heartbreak that we experience on a daily basis because of sin. What does this do in this person that's poor in spirit? Well, it causes them to mourn. It breaks their heart. They're poor in spirit. They surrender their life. They open up with fresh eyes the kingdom. They see sin. They see that Christ is not honored. And it absolutely breaks their heart. Blessed are those who mourn. Well, what does this produce? Poverty of spirit and mourning produces someone that is meek. What is meekness? Meekness is simply this idea of the absence of self. That's it. And you can see that in, this, in these words, poverty of spirit and mourning. You can see here's a person that no longer has any self That they care about. There's no longer anything. They no longer have their own agenda. (laughs) All the way from the big things in life down to the little things in life. I think uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones summed this up so, so well. He said, a meek person is the kind of person that can no longer be hurt. Because the reason why you can get hurt, the reason why someone can hurt you and make you sad on one level... On one level, when we're talking about the personal level, is this idea of self. You know, when we say that someone's touchy, it means there's something in there to touch. There's this, there's this selfishness in there. And when you're touchy, you're full of self. And it's easy for people to get that. But the, but the meek person who's totally revoked the lot, rights to his life and who's brokenhearted over the cause of God, that's where his heart is now. His heart, he's not brokenhearted over all of the wrongs in his own life. All the people that are wronging him, all the things that are not going right, he's broken hearted over the cause of God. She's broken hearted over the cause of God. So there's nothing left inside of them to be touchy related to personal things, and that's where you come up. You see a commentary of this later on in the Sermon on the Mount when Christ said, talks about um, Christians are those that turn the other cheek, meekness. That's meek. You can't do that if you don't have this thing of meekness inside of you. The meek person is the person who can no longer be hurt on a personal level as it comes to their own rights and their agenda. You know, before the time of Christ, the Romans used this word or kind of this concept to describe what would happen in the process of breaking a horse. I don't know if any of you have ever been a part of that. Some of you have, I know. Um, a part of breaking an animal, breaking a horse. Well, you can see, you can go up and watch a horse that's unbroken. I've seen it before. You, you know, they get a guy will get alongside the fence. He'll try and slip that, you know, just even a halter on. And as soon as those straps touch the side of that horse's cheek, what happens? He t- He tears off like lightning. And so over the course of days, basically, it's a war of wills. But what happens? One day... You walk up to that very same pasture, that very same horse, and here is a man sitting on top of that horse, leading that horse around with two very thin little thin little pieces of leather. Just that horse is going right where he wants to go. What happened? The will of that animal had been conquered. There's no longer any agenda inside that animal for his own self anymore. Whatever the master wants me to do, that's what I do. And you can see the horse being led around. That's a very good picture of what meekness looks like. Meekness looks like the person who has had their own will broken. That thing that keeps you up and makes you so agitated during the day or during the night, when you're just agitated and you're just you're it's you're churning inside of yourself, and you've been wronged about something. I'm, I'm pretty good at talking to this, aren't I? I know something about it. When you're just it's just like man, there's just something inside of you. What is that? That's self. What needs to happen? Surrender. Meekness. So that you can just be led around by the Master wherever He wants to go. That's a life of joy. That's a life of joy. Blessed are those who are are meek. Let's turn to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. And what we'll do, we'll just turn to a few uh, verses, Psalm 37 and a couple of others, just to look at this this, this general concept of meekness demonstrated in, the, in Scripture, expounded in Scripture, to give us a more full picture of what we're talking about here. And again, our working definition of meekness, meekness is a tender-hearted person who is devoid of self. A tender-hearted person who is devoid of self. Now, I like this word devoid because it means this. It means without the usual or expected attribute. You ex- I mean, it's, it's, it's a given a lot of times. You expect selfishness in people. You expect when I go up against somebody, there's probably going to be a war of wills here for a moment. Devoid of self means without the usual or expected attribute of selfishness. That's what meekness is. It's supernatural. You usually find a selfish, hardened sinner, but with every single Christian, you find this element of meekness. So that's what we're looking for. Psalm thirty-seven, starting in verse one. Let me let me just show you why we're reading this first, though. Is because the parallel in um, in verse nine: for evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait from for the Lord they will inherit the earth, inherit the land. You hear the same thing. The meek shall inherit the earth. Look at verse 11. But the humble or the meek will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. It's very likely Christ is thinking of this. It's very likely Christ is drawing off of these, uh, this, this section of Scripture as he's drawing forth these principles in the Beatitudes. So that's why we're looking at this section is it, it it expounds it it gives more flesh to it and kind of a more of a picture of what we're talking about. Verse 1, Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious towards wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. You want to hear what meekness sounds like? Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord Trust also in Him and He will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evildoing. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little little while, and the wicked man will be no more, and you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. But the humble, or the meek, will inherit the land, and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Do you hear the picture of what Christ is talking about here when he talks about the man who is meek? The thing that is glaringly absent in this section of Scripture when this man is being described is self there's no self in there anywhere. Rest in the Lord. Do not fret. Trust in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. You hear all of this? It's not this idea that this guy is sitting around, this girl is sitting around trying to forget themselves. That's That doesn't work. You're trying to be meek. I am trying to forget myself. Well, you're thinking about yourself trying to forget yourself. That's the definition of you've already... You've already transgressed meekness right there because you're focused on yourself all the time. That's why that whole deal of self-depreciating humility is not humility. You know, it's almost like you can get the idea, well, if it won't work to praise myself and people will be impressed, maybe I can talk about how bad I am all the time, and then people will be impressed. You You see how dangerous that whole deal is? And you see the way of meekness, how meekness just... Sets that whole deal on the shelf and has an entirely different mindset altogether. What is the mindset of meekness that leads to this life of selflessness? Focused on the Lord. You see it? Fret not. Trust in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. He'll bring forth your righteousness like the noonday. What's the message here? You don't have to defend yourself. Isn't that where this whole deal of selfishness comes in? I've got something in my life. And I'm afraid of it. I'm insecure. So someone says something, so now I have to defend myself. And if I can't talk to them, then I've got this thing going on inside of me that just makes you absolutely miserable. Be, living a selfish life is the most miserable life that you can live on the face of the earth. It really is. It's like, it's like being so mad. It's like being, you're, you're mad all the time and you're drinking your own poison. It's like I'll show them not to treat me that way, and you take another shot of poison. That's what selfishness is. Selfishness makes you miserable. But the way of meekness is, Lord, you are my defender. I trust in you. I don't fret. I commit my way with you. You will bring my righteousness forth like the noonday. And God is just promising and promising. Listen, don't you don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to live. Just give your life to me Focus on me, I will take care of absolutely everything else. So it becomes a matter of faith. General picture of the man of a man or a woman who is meek. Psalm 37. Well, let's look at meekness in regard to receiving God's word. Turn with me to James 1:19. So again, looking at different, different pictures of meekness, what does meekness look like in specific areas of life? You know, what does it look like in in various scenarios? So, how about an approach to God's word? James chapter 1, verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, we've been talking about meekness. We've been talking about the big thing here is lack of self and focus on the Lord. You can hear that here, can't you? What happens when you're full of self? You speak way too fast. You listen way too slow. That's what happens when you're full of self. Let every one of you be quick to listen, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, Putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility or meekness, it's the same word in Greek, in meekness receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. What does meekness look like when it approaches the Bible? Well, we already know there's no self there. There's no self there. And one of the big tests of meekness is, when you come to God's word, is there anything that God has to say to you in his word that you do not want to hear? Is there anything? Is there something about your finances that you would just rather God had not said that? Is there something about your children is there something about your family? Is there something about your job or the way that you spend your time or your priorities where you come to that verse and you can feel you can feel yourself kind of hitting up against it, and it's something that you want to kind to you, you want to avoid? Is there anything in God's word where you don't come and say, God, there's many things that I have trouble with, but I'm coming once again to surrender, and like Samuel and the prophets, what did he say? He said, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. I want to hear what you have to say, even if it crosses my own will, and I'll surrender again. Because that's okay. It's going to happen. You're going to read stuff in the Bible, and it's going to to smack right up against you. That's fine if in the very next moment you say, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. He'll take care of you. That's meekness when it comes to the Word. You can see that, that lack of principle of self. Let's look at another one. Meekness in the area of wisdom. And this one ought to be pretty fresh on our minds from from the the recent message. James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show his good behavior. Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and In the meekness or gentleness of wisdom. Same Greek word there. In the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. You hear the principle there? You hear exactly what we're talking about. He's contrasting this meek wisdom, this person, the general operation of their life, with this person who is full of jealousy and selfish ambition. That's the way you know when you're, whether you're dealing with meekness or not. When you hear someone speaking, when you hear someone giving you order or direction, when you're dealing with someone in life or you're watching yourself do these things, you can know meekness by whether there's jealousy and selfish ambition involved. If that's there, you can be sure of one thing for certain. Meekness is not present. Meekness is not present. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. There is no such thing as going a little way with selfishness. It's not like you can walk with selfishness a little bit and not end up in all kinds of things that you thought you would never end up in. Because selfishness has traveling companions. Every evil thing. You let selfishness go unchecked long enough, you will be doing things you never thought you would ever do. Did you hear that? For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Chaos ensues with selfishness. It's got to stop today. It's got to stop today. You've got to bow your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at another one. Numbers chapter 12. Meekness in the area of personal criticism. Numbers chapter 12. Because this, this is a big one, Right? Personal criticism is one of the hardest things just to bite your lip on. So much easier to defend yourself. Numbers chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he would married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses. Has he not spoken through us as well? You, you hear the implication here. It's like, wait a second. You know, we've been spending all this time on this guy Moses. Listen to what he says. We've got to wait around and get direction from him. He speaks through us as well. Like, let's just kind of, we can do away with Moses and make this operation a lot more efficient. They're challenging his position, which is often the very spot where this deal of meekness is needed the most. It's like you can do a lot of things, but you start challenging a person's basic position. The way that they run things in all areas, you can have a war on your hands if meekness is not present. But listen to what this says. This is good. This ought to encourage you. When this happens to you, you need to remember this next verse right here. It says, has the Lord indeed only spoken through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. It doesn't say Moses heard it. It says in the Lord heard it. Like you get a feel like this is, man, you should have, you ought never have done that. <laughs> the Lord heard It's like God's listening to his children that are done defending themselves. If you're done defending yourselves, you don't have to listen to all of that personal, whatever you want to call it. God will listen to it for you. The Lord heard it. That's a bad spot to be in. If you're on the other side. Now listen. Right in the very place where you would expect to see now. Moses saying now listen guys. I'm the prophet here. I'm the prophet. Yeah maybe God has spoken to you. But I don't think you've had that whole face to face thing yet. Like this is my position. Right where you would expect to see Moses. having to def- Trying to defend himself on a personal level. You find a description of his meekness. Now, Moses was very humble. Hebrew, the same word that's used for meek all throughout the Old Testament. Now, Moses was very meek, more than any man on the face of the earth. That is quite the title. I mean, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. He was the most meek man on the, on the face of the earth. And it says, suddenly... God didn't waste any time with this. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, you three come out to the tent of meeting. There was one guy who was not afraid of that meeting. There were two people that were shaking in their boots. Why? When you're meek, when you're not defending yourself, you don't ever have to be afraid. God takes up my cause. Now in the New Testament, as humble and as meek as Moses was, there's somebody who blows him out of the water. The Lord Jesus Christ himself. You want to talk about meekness. You want to talk about not defending yourself. When if anybody on the face of the earth ever had a right to stand up for himself on a personal level and say, Now wait a second. This is all wrong. He didn't. Let me read you a verse. You don't have to turn there. Just let, let me read this one to you. Man, we could read a bunch of them, couldn't we? First Peter 2.21-23. This is from the ESV. Sorry, I keep backing up there. Isn't that it? Meekness in a nutshell. There's no self there. Self is dead. I don't have my own agenda on my own level. There are battles to fight, but they're no longer personal. You see that? They're no longer personal. And it's not just this thing where there's the absence of self. It's more this idea that I am consumed with God. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He's so enraptured with trust with God. He so sees the bigness and greatness of God and God's ability to do everything, God's ability to control everything. He no longer feels any need in that area and because he sees that so clearly, there's nothing to defend. Why why would he defend himself? He has the God of all of the universe. That watches his calls day and night. And just like Moses, he doesn't even have to listen for these insults anymore. God's listening for him. You see what a joy this life is? It's like, you mean I don't have to deal with myself anymore if I I become a Christian? Yeah, you just walk with Christ. Self will come up, but you can just give it right back to him and walk with him some more. This is a life of joy. Everybody talks about, oh you man, you keep these rules as Christians. How do you ever do it? You know, reading your Bible every day and things like that. It's like, yeah, you wake up and read your Bible and it reminds you that you don't have to live with a thing that's made you miserable to date. That's joy. That's liberation. There's no life on the face of the earth that is more liberating than being delivered from yourself, and there's only one way that it happens. That is through Jesus Christ. Yeah. Religion will shackle you with more self. Try and get religious. Try and do better. Try and pray more. And I, I'm just going to pull myself. I'm just going. I'm going to try and turn over a new leaf. That's not how it happens. That's not liberation. Liberation is coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Whose yoke is easy and his burden is light. And what does it say? You will find rest for your souls. Amen. You won't rest? There's one way. Who? From the one it says right in that text, he's meek and humble in heart. That's, that is bliss. You've never imagined freedom like that. Let's look at one more. Meekness when defending the truth. Meekness when you do have to speak. Second uh, Corinthians 10. Because meekness is not a doormat. Meek- meekness is not this deal of you literally just walk around not saying anything anymore. Like the more meek you are, the less you talk. That's not the idea at all. Meekness has backbone to it. The difference is this level of personal insult. When it's about the kingdom... and. Which is the same idea, but when it's about other people, that I want to win. Man, meekness fights. You've never seen a fight like you have on your hands when someone who is meek is fighting for the cause of the kingdom and for other people. Meekness is fierce. But listen to the way that meekness is fierce. 2 Corinthians 10.1 I huh, should have turned there myself. Second Corinthians 10:1. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you when absent. There were these people, they call them the superapostles here in Corinth that were causing all kinds of trouble for the Apostle Paul. They said, "Man, this guy he can't he has no speech about him, like he's so rough, he's not polished. When he's absent, and he's writing these letters. Well, then he's Mr. Tough Guy, but when he comes to us, he's just kind of weak. You know, there's, there's no substance to the man. It's like, let him get face to face, and you'll see what I'm talking about. He's just like this little dishcloth, wet dishcloth. He's just kind of, you know, limp there. There's, there's no backbone about him. And he says, all right, you, you want to you do this? Let's do this. Let's talk. And so what happens is, I don't know if you've ever read this. It's kind of striking. Paul starts defending himself. And by the time that he gets done, you get the feeling like, yeah, if I were you guys, I would be very embarrassed right now. Very embarrassed. Because he goes into 10, he's working into it, and then in 11, he says this. He says, um, he says verse. Uh, let's see, in verse 21, he says, "...to my shame, I must say that I have been weak by comparison." It's like okay I haven't defended myself so let's go let's defend well I'll defend myself a little bit but in whatever respect to anyone else is bold I speak in foolishness he, he hates having to do this I am just as bold myself are they Hebrews so am I are they Israelites so am I are they descendants of Abraham so am I are they servants of Christ I speak as if insane I More so, in far more labors, far more imprisonments, imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews thirty-nine lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, robbers, and dangers from countrymen, and dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers from false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, and hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure. And apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure of all concern, for all, for, of me for concern for all the churches." I don't want to try and stand up against that. I mean, I've had this little foundation trial. That's that's a, I, Foundations are a walk in the park compared to what he just said. He's not done yet, though, because he's not quite sure if they're getting the point. So they're, they're all boasting about these visions that they had. Well, he says, all right. <laughs> Boasting is in verse in uh, chapter twelve one. Boasting is necessary though it's not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who fourteen years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know. God knows. Such a man was caught up into the third heaven, and I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. Now, just a quick pause right there. I don't read any of them because I've, I've read enough of them to know what they all sound like. All of these books that are getting churned out about X minutes in heaven, I think there's a 90 minutes in heaven, there's like a 12 minutes in heaven, it's like a whole span of, you know, all these people going to heaven, coming back. Immediately, you know that there is a serious error here and that this can't be right. Why? The godliest man that we know in the New Testament, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, when he had a vision like that, it was so profound and glorious, he wouldn't talk about it. He wouldn't even use his name. Did you see that? Listen, you see what he says? He says, I know a man in Christ. He, 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 won't, he, he is so afraid of this thing. It's so big and so glorious. It has so shocked him. He won't even use his name. And when he talks about it, he says about two or three sentences. Anytime that somebody says that that same thing happened to them, and hey, I wrote this book to detail this whole thing. Number one bestseller list. Placarded all over the world. I don't care what's in that book. I know it's not right. Because every person in the Bible that had something similar to that was very reluctant to talk about it. Very reluctant to talk about it. It left them so shocked and so much in awe of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, you about couldn't get them to say anything about it. As a consideration for all those books that sell like wildfire but have very little to do. They talk about all of the stuff that happens in their life and how happy they were and they saw all these people. Well, anybody that that basically God forced to write about it, like the, the Apostle John in Revelation, What does he write about? Does he write about, oh, I was so glad to see all these people? No. He says, well, let me tell you. Well, there was a man standing there, and his eyes were like fire, and his hair was like wool, and there was lightning coming out from around his throne. Where is that in those books? You can't find it. There's a problem. Well, but they forced Paul to it. Paul's decided he has to defend himself. He's going on. He keeps arguing. Now he goes into his weakness. We won't read into that. And here's what he says in verse 14. He says, Here for the third time I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you. And here he gives a glimpse into what it looks like when meekness has to fight. He says, For I do not seek what is yours, but you. You see the difference? I'm not trying to win an argument, I'm trying to win a person. Very, very different. There's a lot of times in the Christian life you can win the argument and lose the person. I'm defending the truth. I can do this. And man, you you back them into a philosophical corner, and when you've got them pinned, you send the sword straight through, and it's like, I got them. You didn't do anything. You didn't do anything. It is more important to win people than it is arguments. And oftentimes you have to say hard things. Man, you have to say things that cut like lightning. But you don't do but when you do them in a spirit of meekness, you're after the person. You're not necessarily after the argument. Listen to this. In verse 19, he makes this even more clear. He's summing up all of this stuff about let's talk about beatings. Times without number. Let's talk about visions. I know a man who went to heaven and heard things he can't talk about. You want to talk about weakness? I've dealt with weakness my whole life. Why is he doing all this? Listen to verse 19. All of this time, you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, all for your upbuilding, beloved. You see that? Man, he's had out the sword for two chapters. He's hacking like crazy. I mean, he is speaking with thunder. And at the end, he says, You am going to tell you what's been going on here. You think I'm defending myself? Self, I'm done with self. There's no self to defend here anymore. I am speaking for your upbuilding, beloved. I don't want what is yours. I want you. I want to win you. You see how meekness frees you up to have a real argument? The only way you will ever have a real argument in your life is if you are controlled by meekness. There's no self in there at all. It's not personal. You're after that person. You see it with Christ. With the rich, young ruler, what does it say? It says Christ looked at him, and what does it say? And he loved him and said, go sell everything that you own. You hear that? He's going to say, he, this is hard truth. You know what I'm talking about, hard truth? You can't be my disciple unless you go sell everything that you have, and then you can follow me. Knowing this guy is so in love with his possessions, he's going to walk away and end up in hell, as far as we know. But what does it say? He looked at him, and he loved him. It's more than winning an argument. He wants to win this person. A few thoughts on meekness. Let's pray. God, I pray that you'd help us to walk in these things. I, I pray you'd help me to walk in these things, Lord. Lord, we feel our need. and we, But, Lord, there's, there's promise. I will cleanse you from all your sins. That's what you said. We're united with Christ. We don't have to be defeated by this. We could have been defeated by this our whole life and, and just come to Christ today, tell him all about it, and walk away in freedom. And you gave us your Holy Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit's meekness, gentleness. God, please give us more of your Holy Spirit today, especially during our time here of getting ready and eating together. I pray that your Holy Spirit would have free reign among us. In Christ's name, amen.